Hello, hello, this is View from the Gallagher. I'm Ian Smith, a Newcastle United season ticket holder in the Gallagher end, and today we'll be running through our favourite moments from the last two years since the takeover happened. We're also going to take a look back at the draw with West Ham at the weekend, and we're going to look ahead to what we can expect after the international break. As ever, please remember to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and please do share it with other Newcastle fans so we can grow the show. Thank you. As you know, I don't do this show alone, and tonight I'm once again joined by my dad, Gordon, and my brother, Andrew. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Good to be here. Excellent. And Dad, how Enjoying are you? Life. Yeah, really good. Thanks. Yeah, another satisfying result at the weekend. Um, although the feeling at the end was slight disappointment having been in the position we we're in, but overall a good a good um a feel good like factor going the run between the two international breaks undefeated. Most certainly, yeah. Um it was a, the perfect response to the previous three games before the last international break. So yeah. coming off that bad run of form and into something decent has uh, settled the, the nerves a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And we will get into the West Ham game a little bit later on in the podcast, but um, it was it was quite pleasing to see after such a high last Wednesday against PSG, Dad just actually not losing the game. And actually, even though the first half energy was a bit low, um, to actually come away with a point was actually a good result, wasn't it? It was an excellent result, yeah, and I would have taken that before the game because I was a bit concerned about it for exactly the reasons you just stated there. Um, the last 10 minutes was agony. I was in the car driving down the year one and um, listening on the radio when it's close is an absolute... <laughs> it's a wonder you don't crash the car half the yeah. time. Um, you yeah. might be in the home end, which is what I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nightmare, yeah. Nightmare. it was a bit nerve-wracking but yeah delighted we got a result I think yeah. it's, a, it's a great result over the overall and uh, we can't complain really no like I said we will go into it a little bit more depth uh, nearer the end of the podcast we're going to start with a couple of news items before getting into our big feature today which is our favorite memories from the past two years obviously the anniversary of the takeover was just a few days ago as we were recording this on October the 7th. Um, so we thought we'd have a look back at some of the positive things that have happened in those two years. But let's just start with a couple of news items that have hit this week, obviously International Week. Uh, the main headline really is that Isak has withdrawn from the Sweden squad. Not the news we want to hear really, but is it just a precaution? Is that what we're hoping? I mean, what do you think, Andrew? Well, he, he asked to come off, didn't he, at the end of the West Ham game, which is why they brought Wilson on. Um, but I'm just hoping it's, yeah, he needs a bit of a rest and doesn't need the faff of more international travel. I think uh, it's, I hope it's I hope it's precautionary rather than uh, anything we need to worry about because he is in good form. Yeah. I mean, reading the, between the lines today, I mean, Wilson wouldn't have come on had uh, Isaac not asked to come off, which, you know, because we all thought Wilson would come on in that second half, but he clearly wasn't right either. Um, I think Isaac's been carrying a knock for a few games. I think he's been ha- yeah. having to play because Wilson hasn't been fit. Um, he's also put in a lot of minutes. He's put in a lot of minutes and he's been absolutely brilliant in a lot of those those games. I mean, um, there was a, um, a segment on uh, YouTube today of Isaac. I mean, it's all by the time he's been with the club, but just some of the more recent footage. I mean, he is just an immense footballer. He's just brilliant. And he was great on Sunday, wasn't he, with the, mm. the way he took his two goals. It's just a pity he never got his hat-trick. That would have been... Yeah, Amazing, seemed but... destined never to get a hat trick score. Yeah, it? apparently not. <laughs> yeah. But I think to answer your question, I think uh, I'm absolutely delighted he's not going to play for Sweden. I think mm-hmm. he needs the rest, um, and I'm thinking uh, it's the same with the rest of the lads who on going away on international duty or haven't been picked. Um, I think that's a blessing in disguise for us in a way. Yeah, Anthony Gordon's the obvious one there, isn't he? I mean, obviously on a personal level, I think it's a disgrace actually that he's not in the squad. Definitely, Um, yeah. And I feel sorry for him. But from a selfish Newcastle supporter view, it's obviously great news for us. Yeah, I agree. Isn't he in the under-21s? Well, he he played for them in the summer, didn't he? I thought he was called up again. I think he's too old now, isn't he? Didn't I read that? That was his last thing he could do, was that tournament in the summer? Sure. I'm, I'm he, is actually, he is actually 22 now, isn't he? So you, you might yeah. be right there, Dad. 
Stand on yeah. that last season's past because it's that was his age twenty one season, wasn't it? And then he yeah. turned twenty two in it. So you're probably right. Anyways, he shouldn't be. He definitely yeah. should be beyond that. Anyway, should be in the full England squad. But that's another issue for another day. Um, my honest concern with the Isak story is um, if he if he he's pulled out in the past and then we we lost him for a few months. And I just hope that's not a repeat of this. Yeah. I just hope it's not as serious because he did have to play more football than he would have liked, and that Eddie Howe definitely would have liked. And and the concern is that. It's going to be longer term, but we'll see. We'll we'll hope that he's back for the yeah. The we'll have to wait and see, won't we? Yeah. And the other the other big bit of news this week was that St James's Park has been chosen as one of the host venues for Euro twenty twenty eight, with England, Scotland, and Ireland's bid a success. And Wales? Did I say Wales? Can't remember. England, Wales, Scotland, and Ireland. Anyway, a successful in their bid, and it'll be a great tournament. I mean, let's mm. be honest, our <laughs> these countries that are all together there in Ireland, of course, um, have some brilliant stadiums. So it's going to be, it should be, it's long overdue, isn't it, that we've got a tournament over here? Massively, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, obviously, I mean, we, we had the Euro final and stuff the other year, didn't we? But it was, um, that was the sort of the cross continental tournament and Euro 96. It was, it was nice, that, I guess. But I think that's, that's testament to the fact that Wembley and a lot of the British grounds are so good, like you say. And the, you know we we could hold it. We could host a World Cup tomorrow because we Absolutely. have the infrastructure. And, stadium, and, that, so. and that's why it's that's why it's a disgrace that we've not had a yeah. tournament for so long. To be honest, because the yeah, yeah. the infrastructure's been here for years. We've had yeah. some of the best stadiums in the world. Um, it does leave just in terms of St James's Park. Obviously, I, I suspect you know it's four over four years away. This tournament, we know that there's a consultation and a they're looking at improving St James's Park, expanding St James's Park. I just wonder if this is a I wonder if this is a kind of the fact that St James's Park has been chosen is a is is a suggestion that Newcastle's ground could well be bigger by then. I I'll be very surprised if it's not. I mean the the the, the rumblings now are about it being extended to 65,000 maybe even bigger, but I, I do think that the work will 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 start in the in the force in the not too distant future, I'm I'm absolutely certain. Um, so yeah, I think this is a catalyst to to ensure it it, it does happen even more so than it did before. So um, I'm certain it'll be a bigger ground come 2028. A, a level seven on the Gallagher's just a no-brainer, isn't it? Yeah, got to get it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think the interesting thing is what they're going to do as we keep, we always keep talking about the East Stand and what, what they can do with that. But I think they'll come up with some modern design which will, yeah. um, which will encompass uh, yeah. an increase in the capacity there. As we've mentioned in the past, that the technology's moved on in the last 25 years since the ground was done, or best part of 25 years. You know, um, there's a there's a stadium in Holland, in Netherlands, I think, where it's it's a bit like the East Stand in the sense that it's very, it doesn't go back very far, but there's mm-hmm. sort of two tiers, and it's there's that sort of thing that might be possible with the East Stand to in, increase capacity there. They talk, there was mentions of kind of glass roofs and that sort of thing to make sure that there's enough light still going onto the terrace behind and all that kind of stuff. So it's going to be really interesting when those plans come out and, and exciting as well, because let's be honest, St. James's Park hasn't changed, like I said, for 23, 24 years now. Yeah, exactly. I think it's uh, long overdue, as we know, and I think the um, the, the Saudi Arabian owners, they'll not want to hang around with it, and particularly having a showcase event like... Uh, the Euros um, in, yeah. in 28. It's going to be really exciting. Uh, it is. Definitely something to try and go to, I think, at some point. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's move on then. So we're going to we're gonna do our big feature first today. Um, we're going to look at... It's, it's such a big week for the club. It's uh, two years since the takeover. Um, you know, whilst the day itself was special, uh, loads of cans were cracked open on October the 7th, 2021. There's actually been so many amazing things that have happened since then that we have enjoyed. So we're going to take it in turns to revisit some of the personal highlights over the last two years since the club was bought by Saudi PIF, PCP Capital Partners and the Rubin Brothers. Who wants to kick us off? Dad, do you want to? Do you want to go first? Yeah, that's. All. I mean, I've, obviously, I've, there's lots of great things have happened in the past two years, and uh, there are a lot of events and 
matches and things that we can relate to and we'll maybe get on to some of those. But I go back to the actual takeover itself because, in my opinion, it's the most seismic thing ever to happen to this football club. I mean, the nearest we've had in the past was probably John Hall taking over in 91-92. But this, it was just... It came out of the, in a way, it came out of the blue. Um, and I remember it's indelibly printed on my mind where I was, what happened. Um, I was, we, we had been, we went away on the, the Saturday um, to Newton Stewart and drove, drove across listening to the, you know, the, the Newcastle game at Wolves. And as we all know, that game was probably the pits. I mean, it was at the lowest end. Um, and, the feeling of desperation and despair amongst us. Well, I remember reading the, the things on Twitter of that Wolves match, and it was really, we, we were going to be relegated. It had nothing changed. We would have gone down. And this time, we would not have come back straight away. It was not happening. Um, Steve Bruce was just an absolute disaster for the club. And the the the, the feeling on that Wednesday... I'm going to the highlights, Dad. Yeah, well, I know, but this is building up to the highlight because on the Wednesday we'd gone out um, and we'd been out during the day um, and got back about four o'clock. And when I looked at Twitter, there was all this sort of thing starting to kick off that things were happening. And then I text you two, um, and of course, within twenty-four hours, the takeover had had been confirmed, and that was probably one of the most amazing moments I think in Newcastle history without yeah. without a shadow of doubt and everything that's happened since then wouldn't have happened had it not been for that takeover and it came out of the blue it was just a, an unbelievable uh, feeling um, that the Ashley years were over that we'd come out of the wilderness and we were was, going to move you remember the week bef- the week before or a couple of weeks before the the, the, the be in sports thing had been settled and that was yes. that was the trigger, wasn't it? It was the, the fact yeah. that the, the the Saudis and the Qataris could sort of agree about who was streaming football. Um, yeah, that, it, that that's that was how it, that's that was what led to it. That flipped yeah. it, and then it was yeah. very quick after that. Yeah, I think it's 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 you easily forget the se- the sequence of events. Like the takeover was announced, what eighteen months before that, or something like that. It was ages, wasn't it? And then it fell dead. Yes, almost making fun of us. Because we'd won the lottery and then couldn't claim it, and then basically it did come out of nothing because everyone had given up. Everyone had thought it had passed; it wasn't going to happen. Um, and then, yeah, it did. It did just suddenly. And we did say this at the time. We I remember having conversations with you both that one day, it if it's going to happen, it will just be announced. It will just happen. There won't be loads of press speculation and all this kind of stuff, which was going on for months and months and months before. And it went quiet, and then all of a sudden, yeah, it was it was it came through, and the, the scenes obviously at St James's Park were unbelievable. But around the world, Newcastle supporters were just it was just one massive celebration, yeah. and yeah, that sense of relief that Ashley had gone was the first great thing that happened with the takeover because yeah. it was the back of a really really bad era. And, yeah. Do you, do, you, do you remember who the last goal scorer was for us? Yeah, I think that tells you a story. <laughs> yeah. But that's yeah. a really a really good one, Dad. And I know you dug out some text, didn't you? That you that you'd I've still got them on my WhatsApp um, messages. All the messages are still there. Yeah. Um yeah, and, it was even, even even amongst the reports, because I reread them today, and like we, we were both quite cautious about it, saying we're not mm-hmm. gonna believe this until it's confirmed. But even yeah. though the, the local journalists were really hinting it was done and that was I think the moment when you believed it yes what well, once I saw George Culkin and I think well, I can't remember who were the other one I Luke think it was Luke Edwards, Edwards. It was, a big, it was a big cynic of it all yeah, like, yeah they, they, were, they were at the hotel in Gosforth all of a sudden weren't they and that was yeah. it yeah so it was, it, it was an amazing moment it was an absolutely incredible feeling to go from that despair and despondency about your football club and not being bothered to go into the matches yeah. which I wasn't um, to actually being in a, a, a state of euphoria, it was it was incredible. Yeah, for, for me, um, it was it was the return of hope. That was that was the key thing for me. Yeah. It was like hope had been lost with Ashley, and ultimately, if you don't have hope in in life, really, but in, in with your football club, there's literally no point. And Newcastle had lost all hope. 
yeah. at that point. It was we were at rock bottom, and I still maintain we were at rock bottom, even though we'd been lower, even though we'd been in a division lower twice. The Wolves game was rock bottom. That was the worst it had ever been, mm. um, and and to suddenly, literally, flick of a switch, have all that hope return. It almost didn't matter in a sense what happened mm-hmm. in the the subsequent two years we've had. Mm. Even if we would had half as much of a rise yeah. as we have, it would have been amazing. And so, mm. yeah, for me, that's what it was all about. It was just that instant yeah. return of hope, and and you mm. get your enjoyment back almost immediately. Yeah, it's great. Great. Andrew, do you want to give us one of your highlights? Yeah, well, my, my, I, my, chronologically, mine is sort of the next thing along. So my, one of my highlights was the first, let's say, generously, five minutes of the Spurs game. <laughs> Just that first five minutes. So or, or the, or the build-up to the game so that, you know, that the stadium was full again, the singing, and, we, and basically the crowd sucked that ball in to the net, you know, the wheels yeah. after two minutes. Um, and then it, the rest of the day went pretty badly, including one of our own fans having to be resuscitated in the crowd. So that was, if you remember that, there was a yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah, it was awful. Um, and then um, Dumbelli scored, didn't he? At about fifteen minutes in, and then Kane scored, and then you just realised, oh yeah, we're still the same. Yeah, the team's still not very good here. We still um, see Bruce in the dugout. <laughs> but that that first, the, the freedom of that first two, three, four minutes where we were just playing, you know, with, with Belief and passion and pace, just all that stuff. That was a great feeling, and I think that, that it was the culmination of what we'd seen in the previous yeah. ten days. You know, it was the kind of the takeover. Yes, you know, watching Sam Fender on BBC Breakfast and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> that was a good yeah, moment. Good. Um, yeah. yeah, if you could, yeah, if you could bottle that kind of that first that atmosphere, the first few minutes, mm. very, very, very special, yeah. very special. Okay, I'll um, I'll throw one in then. Um, I'll go a little bit a little bit different on this. I think um, for me, we've we've talked about this player a lot over the years, and he's become a, a real favourite. But for me, it was Joe Linton because before before we got to the transfer window, um, I mean the results didn't come, but the performances were a lot better. And I'd always. I'd always stuck up for Joe Linton. I, even even when Bruce was in the last few games at the start of that season, for me, Joe Linton was still showing signs of being a player, being decent. And mm. and he was getting a lot of stick from a lot of fans at that point. And I was like, well, actually, no, because he, if you look, he's still doing some decent stuff, even though the team weren't performing. And I really, at the time, it sounds really daft now, but at the time, I, that was sticking your neck out on the line to, to mm. defend a player like Joe Linton. Now, there mm. were other fans who agreed with me, but they were the minority. And so just to see what he has become, to see that he has become a Brazil international, that he has become one of the first na- names on our team sheet, even though the squad has improved drastically, and I just love his attitude. I love the fact that he went and got his own coaches to sort himself out. I love the fact that he never, ever let his head drop when he was under flack for being number nine and not very good. That when he was, you know, hitting shots that were bouncing up and hitting him in the face and all that kind of stuff that he became a bit of a joke figure. To, to just see that he's become this absolute beast of a player, man-mountain, and dominating a midfield in the Premier League. I'm just so chuffed for Joe Linton. It just epitomises the entire rise of the club in one player since the takeover. Yeah, it's a really good shout here, and I, and I totally agree. I mean, I, I'd seen things in Joe Linton, and I remember you doing live streams before the takeover when you were defending Joe Linton and, and people were having a go at you or just saying, oh, you're, you're wrong. But you, you were wrong. And, and I, I, like you, I'm delighted for Joe Linton. And he does embody the whole takeover and the, what Eddie Howard's done in in that one one player. Um, and as, as you say, he has become so vital to the way we play. And he, he is a monster in that midfield. When he's terrorising other players when when they see him coming I've seen players shirk away from challenges with Joe Linton or they've got to argue with him and then they realise he's coming towards him and they just they just back <laughs> up don't they I mean and yet he's such a, a nice lad isn't he he comes across gentle really off the pitch um, but no it's a great story an absolutely lovely story yeah, yeah. 
I think it's it's a story we've also seen echoed in Longstaff as well. I think as yeah. you know, because like, yeah. he was on a real low. Um, you know, yeah. he talked about how low he was really with Bruce there and what had gone on at the club. Um, yeah. And Longstaff yeah. story is incredible, actually. Yeah. And and yeah, I think you're right, Andrew. You know, I mean, it was literally it was World Mental Health Day yesterday as we recorded mm-hmm. this, and I think Sean Longstaff is. I love the fact that he he's he's resurrected his career. He's yeah. you know he's scoring goals in League Cup quarterfinals or semi-finals, whatever it was, at Champions yeah. League Champions matches. League. Yeah. You know, like it is incredible what what he's been able to do. And and there was an interview I saw with Longstaff in the week. Someone had posted a clip of him talking about Matt Ritchie and Matt Ritchie actually being the person who went to him and, mm-hmm. and said, you know. You need to go and speak to someone, um, you know, and, and passed on a number and that kind of thing. And I just yeah. think that is really important. That you know, if anyone listening to this podcast even thinks that you know they need to talk to someone, it is it can be done, and you should do it um, if you're feeling in a bad place. And I think I really love that shout, Andrew. Actually, that long stuff because mm. it is a brilliant story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is. The that thing, I mean, like, of all the kind of when you when you you know take a serious look at what happened at the club and where where they were, you know, it's it's nice to joke on a little bit. But when you actually look about, you know, you don't think about the damage that had done to the players, let alone you know like we were all feeling it as fans and like well, like you know, you don't want to go and watch it and you know it, it, you don't want to even hear the manager speak or you know, and you just look, you actually lost all hope and you forget obviously the players. You know, not every player can get a transfer, but there was a point with Longstaff where, like, Man United was sniffing about and, and looking mm-hmm. at him and wanting to come in and, and buy him. And, and we, you know, I think we always knew there was a, a player there. Um, yeah. But actually, and, and again, you know, we go back to sort of what's happened since the last international break. He came back into the team and form picked up because of what yeah. he provides. He's not flashy. Um, he's not He's not Bruno. Um but he is, he, he is solid and, you know... But what, but what he does is, and somebody mentioned this on Twitter, on, 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 I think maybe even in Athletic, but it was certainly on Twitter, about that is um, long stuff necessary for Bruno to play, to play well. Um, because it, it's no coincidence that Bruno has come back in the form with, with long stuff alongside him. Yeah. Um, because you need somebody to do the work that long stuff does to release Bruno further forward. And I think... It, it's a, it, it's just great to see. Do you remember? I remember when we, Rafa knew what Longstaff was about, didn't he? And you know that game at West Ham, Andrew, when uh, Declan Rice was on one side and uh, Longstaff was on the other, and the, the, there was this rivalry, wasn't there? And this nonsense being in the you know how people want to have these combats between players, um, and Longstaff got injured that day, and then he was never quite the same for us until you know how God was appointed. Yeah. Well, Steve um, nearly ruined him, didn't he? So, yeah, so yeah, it's a great did. story. It's a great story, yeah, and 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 he continuing to do good stuff for us, which is really, really Absolutely. good. Um, so yeah, Longstaff, Joe Linton, two really, really good stories. Uh, Dad, give us another one from your list. Mine comes in sort of two parts here because one, it's a sign of Kieran Trippier as the first signing that we made. I mean, that was a statement, um, which was, and yet in, in a way, it was a bit. People might have been a bit underwhelmed by it, but I thought it was fantastic that you know Trivia wanted to give up what he had in Spain and come and I join us. It's only so exciting to sign a right back, isn't it? That's the point. It is. It is. But immediately it's we saw the right back in the world. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I, mean, I mean, what I would say is you wouldn't expect normally a right back to be so pivotal to your team, yeah. but obviously no. Trippy has become that. Mm. That's right. And the, 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 the other part of it really is, you said it, that the results weren't great in the early days of Eddie Howe, and they weren't. We, we struggled, didn't we? We didn't win a match until we beat Burnley um, early December, and that was the only win we'd had. And then we went to, um, you know, we had, that, we had a very down game in the middle of January when we played Watford at home and conceded a goal late on. And then the following week, what was probably the most pivotal pivotal result of the season was when we beat Leeds at Elland Road. Yeah. But then, if you remember, there was a international break, and we came back. I mean, next real high was the Everton game on a Wednesday night, 
when it was live, and that match was the, was, was the one that's was the springboard for everything else that happened that that yeah. season. And what it was was, I mean, if you remember, because I look back on it, Everton took the lead, um, which was unbelievable, you know, which was her- horrific, wasn't it? But within ninety seconds, Jamal Lascelles had crushed the ball off the bar, and then the ball went off the guy who had scored. Well, he, into- he scored the own yeah. goal, hadn't he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was so it was one one, but then this, we just took over that game, and we just with a crowd up and the noise under the light, it was just fantastic. And do you know who scored the second goal that night? Fraser, Fraser, um, and it was a great team move. But then yeah. came Trippier's free kick, yeah. and uh, we were there, Ian, were we? And it was just he lined it up, and it it was just unbelievable. And you talk about the roof lifting last. Wednesday night against PSG, but honestly, the noise was fairly equal mm. when when that when Trippier scored, and he it was scored such a, he scored the following week against Villa, didn't he? He did, he yeah. did yeah, exactly, and then he went off injured. Then we lost him for about two months after That's that. Right. We did, but, but we you know did, what was great about him? He, he was he was still there for yeah. all that time. He was out injured. He was at every game. He was still leading. He was in the dressing room. He wanted to be part of it. He wasn't. That's he didn't great. just disappear. He was yeah. in the heart of it. And that, I don't think that can be underestimated, even though he wasn't no. on, on the pitch. And then he played every game last season. Yeah, Man, I mean, yeah. He, he was he was all present, ever present in the league side. Absolutely it, incredible. If you remember, because he got injured, and we were so thrilled that he'd been there, and he was doing mm. his thing. But Emil Kraft really had a turnaround. He did. He came back and didn't he? That's right. Again, you, yeah. it was sort of like, oh, he's a very average, you know, weak Swedish fullback. But actually, you know, he just how he turned was, him around. Yeah. You know, um, and that's another story, just, isn't it, about house coaching? You know, house coaching yeah. of so, uh, all the players that he's managed to make look decent yeah. or, or, or at least. Well, Fabian Shaw's another one, wasn't he? Yeah. Fabian Shaw was out of the door with Steve Bruce, and he, yeah. I mean, he was picking Kieran Clark in the place of Fabian Shaw. Man, but Kieran Trippier, the signing, and then that goal on that Wednesday was just immense. And then what he's done since has been absolutely fantastic. And what I love about Trippier is he still regards Jamal Lascelles as the club captain. I just yeah. think he's got no ego in it. I think it's just. Brilliant. Yeah, I was thinking like the way the clubs handled the whole Lascelles captain thing has just been brilliant. Like, I just, it's just been yeah. brilliant. Yeah, like, that doesn't happen. Yeah. Do you remember we had this conversation back in May about whether Jamal Lascelles would be on his way? But he's still there. And I'm so glad he's another one who has come in the last few couple of weeks and been absolutely immense. I don't know what he was like at West Ham on Saturday, on Sunday because I didn't see the game. But my guess is he he wouldn't have been too bad. But certainly against PSG, he was yeah. he was magnificent. Yeah. I've, I mean, I forgot how big he was when, it, like, you talk about Jalidin mm. being big. I was I was mm. at the game on at the week. <laughs> I was like, is massive. Yeah, he he's is. absolutely big. He's mm. a unit. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, he did okay. He got a bit. I think he got caught on the first goal. But <laughs> but there you go. We'll come to that later. Yeah. Um, no, it was a good it's a good chat. I, I would just. Um, before before you jump in there, Andrew, I, I actually had one of my suggestions down as the first transfer window. So obviously including yeah. Trippier, but like you know the uh, five Br- Bruno, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, target obviously Woods, yeah. um, Burn, Dan Burn, of course, yeah. and like you know three of those players are still playing regularly. Yes. And, and do you remember the jib we got for signing those players because everybody you know who not a Newcastle was saying. Well, you, you've got all this money, and you're signing Dan Byrne and um, uh, Chris Wood. Chris Wood, I mean, yeah. Yeah. but they all played a part. They've all done and, a job. They all, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. to more or lesser degrees. So yeah, the first transfer window I had down as as just a great moment. Not just because yeah, we bought some players, but it was just the fact that actually the first transfer window was actually enjoyable because the transfer yeah. windows a Newcastle supporter under Ashley had become depressing as hell. It yeah. was awful every single time. Yeah, you didn't know whether you were going to sign anyone. Sign anyone. Yeah. It was terrible. So, so they're yeah. actually just enjoying a transfer window with actual genuine, uh, almost like schoolboy excitement again. It was just <laughs> was just a revelation. It was mm. great. Uh, Andrew, give us another one. 
So I'm going to go obscure here, and, and there's a backstory to this, I think, as well, like as Dad's kind of highlighted with some of the results we'd had. But um, Thursday, the 10th of March, 2022, we had an away game at Southampton, and we, we won 2-1, and Chris Wood scored his first goal, and Bruno scored that absolutely outrageous back heel yes. on the volley somehow. Yeah. And, and for me, it was away. So we were, I was like, I was watching it on the telly and um, it had been, it was a little run of fixtures that had culminated in that. And I knew it was going to be okay at that yeah. point for that season. I knew we were going to be okay after that because we had, a, we had a midfielder who could score a back heel in midair <laughs> um, in the penalty area, seemingly marked by an entire Southampton team. Um, and we managed to get Chris Wood to score. So that, for me, was a, it was just a, a moment in that season where I realised, actually, didn't matter what else came, we were probably going to be okay. We had quality in the team. Yeah. Um, and so, again, I'd looked at it, and on New Year's Day, we had 12 points. And I think it was about 12 points about that, wasn't it? And and then we got knocked out of the FA Cup by Cambridge. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it wasn't getting any better. And then we drew at Watford. Um, and it was sort of like, oh, right, we're just, it's going to be arduous, this. And we were still signing players at this point. But as you say, we went on that run and we beat Leeds, we beat Everton, we beat Villa, yeah. we drew with West Ham. Uh, and, then, and then we had those three games quite close together where we beat Brentford, we went to uh, we, uh, away, sorry. So we, we had an away win at Brentford. We then beat Brighton at home yeah. and then we beat Southampton away. And it was just a tiring set of fixtures. Um, you know, and then we, we I mean, subsequently lost to Chelsea and Everton and Spurs. <laughs> and the Spurs game, we got hammered. But it, by then I knew we were going to be okay. And it was just, again, that moment where all the hard work and the disappointment had sort of faded because the hard work had kicked in you could see the difference how was making the new players were making, and that was uh, a moment for me. And and just watching a, a Newcastle United player score such an outrageous goal, mm-hmm. um, it, yeah. it's really under the radar for me. I think it's an absolute worldie. Yeah, it, it definitely got underrated. Like it was. Yeah, it should get much more praise. I watched yeah. it the other day. For I've some never reason. seen anyone else remember. do that. It was just. It was ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> and he meant it. He absolutely. He hundred yeah, percent meant the score. You know. Um, yeah, it was that was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, good yeah. shout. Yeah, good shout. That was a good one. Yeah. Um, so I'll go for the cup run last season as a as a mm. one because it it had been a while since we'd had a good cup run. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we got to the final in the end. I won't talk too much about the final itself, but the actual run up to the final was was one of the most enjoyable parts of last season um mm. it was it was absolutely fantastic and those those wins at home you know we talked about long staff scoring and, and all that kind of stuff earlier like you know in the in the quarters and semis it was just yeah su- such a magic time and and just to enjoy a cup run again and i really hope obviously that we go on many cup runs now but that league cup run the carabao cup run was it was the first proper cup run we'd had for <laughs> I can't yeah. even remember, like literally a quarter of a century nearly. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Any any thought of the last two years cannot not include the, that that cup run. Um, and we talk about Longstaff scoring, but of course in the quarter final it was uh, Dan Burn, Burn, yeah, in and scoring the goal. I mean, yeah. it was just boys' own stuff. It was just uh, incredible. Uh, and this is what we're getting these stories. And that was the same week we'd lost to Sheffield Wednesday in the third round of the FA Cup. Remember That's as well. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. we did our usual trick of really disappointing everyone early January. Um, <laughs> so it was nice because it was only three days later the quarterfinal. Yeah. But that that loss to Sheffield Wednesday probably helped us in a in a roundabout yes. kind of way, didn't it? Um, in the same way that I think losing to Cambridge the year before, we didn't want to lose to Cambridge clearly, yeah. but actually in the scheme of things, I think it wasn't because we were never going to win the FA Cup last that season when we were fighting relegation. No. It was more important about the relegation fight, wasn't it? But no, the cup run was brilliant. We had some great great memories of it. It's just a pity about Wembley, but there we go. 
Um, I did put going to Wembley as one of my highlights. It's just it stops at going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although even that actually at the end when we were two 0 down and everyone we just started waving the flags. Yeah. That was, that was quite a moment again. I think for the fans and the unity and and sort of solidarity and all that sort of stuff, which was yeah. you know had been missing for so long. Um, but we definitely had a better time with the Southampton games and the Leicester game. Mm, <laughs> I think yeah, that's absolutely true. Absolutely. No, it's good. We love a good cup run, and let's hope we have, like I say, many we'll more to come more. over the next yeah. few years. Okay, uh, who's go? Is it? Who are we up to? Back to me, I think. Back to you, Dad. Go on then. Let's do one more round, uh, and then uh... I think obviously the 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 actual again it's a, it encompasses the whole season, but qualifying for the Champions League, um, and I think the defeat of um, Brighton. On my birthday, when I couldn't go because I was sat with my leg up because I'd done my Achilles tendon, so I had to watch it from from the the city. <laughs> um, but the feeling that night was just we battered Brighton, absolutely battered them, and we should have scored more goals really. But to come and and to have it finished off with Bruno scoring the, the fourth goal, um, and then there was a brilliant goal from Wilson in that that which was set up by Miggy, who actually is another player we've not mentioned, whose revival under Eddie Hare was being nothing short of amazing. Yeah. But it was just the fact that we had qualified for the Champions League after a gap of twenty years. I just think it's rounded off a season which had been fantastic and some fantastic memories. But to actually achieve that just set us up um, for this season, and I think. It, it is a massive achievement in 18 months to go from relegation certainties to being Champions League qualifiers. Yeah. I mean, there's real, uh, I mean, people like to draw parallels, but there is real echoes of Keegan about this whole thing, isn't there? In, yeah, in some respects. Um, and I think the, the, the rise, the very quick rise, is obviously a big um, parallel you can draw between Eddie Howe mm. and Keegan. What I feel, though, with Howe, is we're much more stable. Yeah. We're much. We feel much more stable now. This doesn't feel like it could just go away in an instant, like it did yeah. with Keegan when he left. It just kind of everything yeah. fell apart quite quickly. Um, this feels much more here for the long term. Yeah, I think that's you know the, the often used phrase. You know, it's evolution, not revolution. I think there's elements that I mean, actually, what I think what we have we have clearly had a revolution. In the, if you look at the speed in which it's happened. But you're totally right. I, I don't get a sense with Eddie Howe that he is emotionally unstable. <laughs> I'm not saying Keegan was, but you know what I mean? Keegan, very emotive character yeah, and able to inspire players and, and improve them. But Eddie Howe is tactically on a different level. He's a, he's more of he's a... If you look at what Pep's done to football and what Arteta's trying to do, I put Howe up in that category. They, they think mm -hmm. about it. Um, I mean, there's more to say about the, the West Ham game because I think when you when you compare what was Moyes was doing versus what Howe has done and all, you know all that kind of stuff, it's it's an interesting yeah. kind of way of looking at football. So I, I definitely have him up there with you know, yeah, he, he's he's on a different track anyhow. Yeah, and I, I think we couldn't really the the appointment of Howe was such a um, an inspired appointment. I know we had Emery lined up and that would have probably been that may have worked as well, we don't know. But Eddie Howe has been such a calm head in a in a cauldron. Even when things weren't going well in the early you know, where we weren't winning games, we weren't particularly losing loads of games, but his just his meticulous planning and the way he let Bruno sort of sit on the bench for half a dozen games before introducing them. And that I read somewhere today that talked about Tonali. Had we not had more, with not the injuries we had, Tonali would have probably gone through the same process. Um, but he's, you just know every match we go into, we are as well prepared as we possibly can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't mean we're going to win every game, but it's just the feeling of the club's in good hands. It's good. and when I see all the nonsense of supporters picking the team and what they would do and what they would do, I just say. What what I just trust Eddie Howe. If Eddie Howe thinks that, then that's that's good enough for me, really. I, I can't I can't argue with what he's done. Yeah. Very yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um okay. Are we up to you, Andrew? Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll just be quick. Um, quick quick one, Spurs or two, six one. 
<laughs> yeah. Spurs 6-1, um, five up at half-time, five up in 21 minutes. Mm. What an yeah. afternoon. I mean, you can't say, you don't really need to say any more. To... <laughs> yeah. It was I just haven't laughed so much at a scoreline. Well, I think I was the only one of the three of us in the ground that day and it was just um, it was just stupid I mean we were looking at each other with disbelief that it was 5-0 after 20 minutes it was like what's going on um, but it was a great afternoon absolutely Andrew incredible. you're absolutely right it was brilliant yeah um, I'll just do a very quick one as well and um, it's a bit of a a bit of a soppy one in a sense but to be honest it's enjoying the match again so having moments like the PSG game to be there with you, Dad, you know, the way we celebrated those goals and all that kind of stuff. Like, we haven't done that for ages. Like, we've not done that for years. And, and, and growing up, when under you know, we talked about Keegan era we, as I was, a, you know, going into my teenage years and early, early adulthood and all that kind of stuff. Like, that's kind of what we lived. Like, we had that regularly. Yeah. And then it was whipped away from us with Ashley. And mm-hmm. and just to have... I mean, PSG was, was emotional for lots of reasons, but obviously the brilliant result. But actually, just having that sheer enjoyment of being at a match like that, celebrating a match like that, I'm just, I'm just so glad yeah. those days are back. I mean, I think the final, th- I, mean, I, I totally agree. And I think for me, the, the final sign off in this little section is the PSG game. That game yeah. is going to be remembered for a generation, for two generations, yeah. for however long people are alive, they'll talk about that game yeah. just because of what it was, what it represented. There might be better games in the future in the Champions League. We might get further on in the competition, yeah. but what it was, like, I haven't had a game of football stop me doing any work. Yeah. The following day, for <laughs> yeah. a long time, for a long time, I didn't. I mean, I, I, I didn't do my job. <laughs> I had to do day. my job, but yeah. I didn't want to do my job that day. Yeah. All I wanted to do was sit and look at things on the internet and watch. Which watch is exactly what I did as well. I just looked at all the stuff. But it, it was a, it was an immense night, and I, it wasn't the match and the result, but it was just the feeling in the city before the game. Yeah, it was. The fact that we were in the ground at 20 to 7 an hour and a half, well, and 20 minutes before kickoff, I mean, that's unheard of, you know, um, for a long, long time. And it was just everything about that night was, was and just war flags. I mean, that's another highlight of the last two years. And, I was, and funny enough, I was looking at the Everton game online and really the lack of flags in the in that night, because we had them at the Gallagher end, I think, mm. but we didn't have as many. But now, when you see the whole... And one of the best pictures I saw came from that French lass who did that vlog oh, yeah. from the looking amazing. down. And that picture of the ground with all the flags and with the magpie in the middle of the Gallagher, that was, that's a fantastic picture. Absolutely brilliant. Great night. Yeah, and that brings us just about up to date with where Newcastle United are at right now. Um, let's very, very quickly touch on the West Ham game. We don't need to go into too much detail about it, really. But obviously, very solid result. Great to see the second half performance in particular and Alexander Isak proving that he is the coolest man in a black and white shirt. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, as I said, I was there and I was in the home end, so it was tricky. <laughs> um, and I was with... My friend, who's also a Newcastle fan, in the in the in home. So we were we were sort of undercover, um, but we we saw West Ham's first goal and Isaac's two goals. We were at that end, um, so yeah. with our fans, but just in the other end. Um, and it was it, it was it was really interesting to watch. I thought we were comfortable in the first half, but ineffective. We just it was slow. Um, but what 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 I've kind of realised as as sort of the, the week's gone on is like. West Ham really didn't offer much at all. No, um, they didn't. They, they play on the break anyway. Um, and I, I was texting you during the game. And I said, oh, it's typical West Ham. They'll do this all day. You know, just sort of the hit was with a, a counter-attack. It was a silly mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I think the defenders got caught napping a little bit. And, yeah. and Pope came out. It, it happens. And it, well, I think it we was... gifted them We gifted them the goal. And I think Massive. if we hadn't, yeah, yeah. If we hadn't gifted we them the goal, it'd have been nil-nil at halftime. It, it definitely would have been. Um, and what, again, again, reflecting and sort of thinking back, I was sort of saying to my mate, like, what did he do in the second half that was different? And he, he sort of chopped it. He, he did sort of, he just he just dialed up the intensity, really. He moved, I think he moved Denali out to the right. Yeah. Was it to the right? 
Um, but Bruno came into the game a bit more and he was obviously lucky to be on the pitch. I think everyone really accepts that um, because yeah. he should have really been sent off. Um, but they just sort of t- just dialed it up because West Ham were offering very little. Um, and it, and then it, I was sort of thinking, oh man, like, why don't we have a third striker? You know, because it's like, what's happened here? But actually, I was reminded, we do. Anthony Gordon would have been up front. Yeah. You know, had had Isaac got had to go off he, and Wilson couldn't have come on, he would have put Anthony Gordon up front yeah. uh, and Joe Linton. You know, we probably have four players who can play up front. It's just that we ended up with none of them fit by the end of the game. Yeah. Um, so this weird bit where Anderson was playing in the middle was very yeah, strange. That was a bit odd, wasn't it? But I guess um, that, I think it was. I think that was just a way to kind of ma- uh, maintain it until half time. Um, anyway, but it, it was time at one 0 I think it was. Um, there's a couple of things came out of the match for me. First of all, is it was very reminiscent of the Brentford match the season before when we were your know, last season when we were one 0 down at half time, hadn't played particularly well in the first half, and then anyhow changed it at half time, and within 15 minutes we were two one up, and we we didn't we went on to win that game two one. Um, so to turn it round so quickly is the other factor there is that we are a good side. We are yeah. a good side. We are a side capable of yeah. doing what we did on Sunday and turning we, a game right on yeah. its head. We will finish above West Ham. Yes. It, they're having a great, they've had a great start to the season. They're riding high mm. after winning a trophy. Yeah. Um, but what I saw, even with their much improved squad, I mean, Pakatar's brilliant, but he, he let himself down a couple of times for them. Um, they've got some, I mean, Ward Prowse has been brilliant for them. But ultimately, we've just got a classier team yeah. and a better quality set of players and we I'm, I've no doubt we'll finish I think a good way above West Ham and that's a, that's a good sign because I think they'll probably finish in the top eight yeah, yeah. Um, my, my, my feeling on Sunday was if we had Gordon and Joe Linton in that side we would have won that game yeah I also think as well if we'd have just had a couple of stronger options from the bench we'd have seen it out as well I think exactly. the fact that the players were really really tired but it was yeah. basically the same team that I'd played at PSG the emotion of that the draining of the energy of that uh, was obviously huge but they did so well and especially the second half because the first half it did look mm. like there was a big hangover the second half they ramped it up we 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 really should have won it in the end. I we think. did. Actually, seeing Eddie Howe's reaction at the end of the game, he was he was a little bit annoyed that we hadn't held on. I think uh, I think he probably balanced it out when he got back down in the dressing room. But he, he was definitely like us, gutted that we we let it slip. Yeah. Um, but overall, well. you know, in in the context of what you just said there, Ian, after the the run of games we've had, the the actual physical effort that those players put in every match. Um, it, 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 we tired in the last 15 minutes and we didn't have enough strength off the bench yeah. to um, see it out. Yeah. But at the end of the day, a very good point. It it means we've gone seven matches between the international breaks without yeah. losing. We've scored mm-hmm. a hat full of goals. We've got four points in the Champions League and sit top of that group. We're in eighth in the Premier League. I mean, the, this it's shaping up into a, a very promising season. And I just want to finish the show really with a very quick look ahead past the international break and into the next run of fixtures for Newcastle. Obviously, first up, we've got Palace at home, but you know we've also got other big Premier League games. We've got Champions League matches and, of course, the League Cup tight away at Man United. Huge mm. games coming up. The good news is we should have some of those players back. Botman, Willock, Joe Linton and Gordon, obviously back from injuries and suspensions. Yeah. What are we hoping for over the next run of games then? What, what's kind of, what would be a good place for Newcastle to be in you know, say by the next international break or by the new year. I'd like us to be qualified out of this Champions League group. I think that's, I don't think that's unreasonable. I think we win the home games, we're through. And yeah. whether that's first or second, I don't care. Um, but I think we can do it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, there might be some surprises here. I, I, I don't, I, I worry about going to Paris <laughs> um, and, and, and yeah. even to Dortmund, actually. They, they're, they're going to be tricky ties. Um, but the home games, I think we we we've beaten PSG. I think they're better than Milan um, and Dortmund. Who knows? We'll see. So I'd like to see that. I'd like to see us beat Man United in the League Cup. Um, yeah, that's a big one for me. I really yeah. think, I really think that's an opportunity for us to, yeah. to prove we can do it. And and I think there's still so, there's a lot of good teams still in that. 
Um, I mean, Liverpool are still annoyingly around, aren't they? Um, that was a bit of a bogey team. <laughs> but, you know, I, I mean, I, th- I think if we can get qualified for this Champions League group, do that business and be in within touching distance of the top five by New Year, it's, I mean, and not to panic if we're kind of, you know, sitting sixth, seventh, eighth. It's mm. not. It's not a problem. Like, like we talked about earlier, we had twelve points on New Year's Day, and then mm-hmm. we lost to Cambridge in the cup. And it just—it doesn't take much to go on a run. And this team is a moment. It, it does these bursts. Yeah, for for me, Andrew, that's exactly right. I I've said, as long as we are there or thereabouts in touch of the top four, say within you know a handful of points yeah. by the turn of the year. I'll be really happy with that. I think that'll be a brilliant first half of the season for us. And I think we can kick on in January. We can kick on in the second half of the season. And I don't think we've played our way into form. And I think it wouldn't surprise me if... if Yeah, we're going to lose the odd game here and there. But it wouldn't surprise me if our form is really, really solid between now and the end of the year. Yeah, I think looking at the fixtures, I, I agree with you both. I think the the Champions League qualification of that group is would be would be great, and it's within our grasp to do it. Um, beat Man United, Old Trafford, would, that would be lovely. Um, interesting. I'm just looking at the fixtures. We actually play. Um, so we we come back against Palace, then play Dortmund at home, then Wolves away, then we've got Manchester United in the cup. Arsenal at home on the Saturday yeah. at half past five, which will be an absolutely um, another huge, huge match, and then Dortmund away. So yeah. Arsenal at home and Dortmund away will be will be key games yes, one day yes. in that spell. Yeah. Well, and, and we've then, got Bournemouth the way after that. So like you've got a ten day, ten day thing with yeah. four games. And then there must be another international break after that because yeah, there there's, a, there's a week off, isn't there? So and then we have Chelsea. Yeah. But uh, but no, it. it isn't it great to have a fixture list that includes Man United away and Dortmund? Oh, and you know, it's, it's just fantastic. Absolutely, absolutely brilliant. brilliant. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. It's what we want. It's what we're, what we're after. We shouldn't be scared of it. We shouldn't be worried about it. We should yeah. just be enjoying it. And we're not afraid of anybody, is what I think. We would just. No, I think that's right. I mean, you know, I think we owe Arsenal a game after the last last season's home game. Yeah. We were done um, a little bit there. And, you know, you know, they'll go for it. It all depends. I think I think the Man United Cup game they'll they'll probably it'll be a, an interesting team. I don't think it'll be anywhere near um what we would recognise as the full strength team. Yeah. Um but bring it on. We'll see. Bring yeah. it on. Bring it bring on. It on. Thank, Indeed. thank you so much to both of you. Uh, really, really enjoyed talking about the last two years uh, at Newcastle because it's obviously been really enjoyable. Uh, we'll be back next week with another show. Don't rem- don't forget, I always say don't remember, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and share it with other people so that we can grow the show. And yeah, like I said, we will be back with another podcast next week. Thank you.